Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. More people are beginning to recognize themselves as nodal points on a network of shared consciousness rather than islands of independent awareness that only haphazardly encounter one another. We're mobile phones sharing data on the cloud, not personal computers each with its own isolated hard drive. Consequences come from acknowledging this interdependence. The 19th century myth of the self-made man in a socialist Darwinist landscape evaporates as we embrace our vulnerability towards one another. Are you strong enough to be tender? The opportunities are huge. The challenges are real. You're just in time for the evolution. Welcome to The Evolver, where each week I talk with inspiring pioneers of the new consciousness culture. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Acast, or on the podcast app of your choice. Share this episode with fellow seekers at the Juice Bar. Leave a rating on iTunes and post about it on social media. Our email address is theevolver at evolver.net for feedback. And you can follow us on Instagram at theevolverpodcast and on Facebook at Evolver Social Movement. Now, let's get started. Welcome to The Evolver. Sponsored by The Alchemist Kitchen. Hosted by Ken Jordan. When intuition speaks, who's really talking? You get a hunch. What part of yourself is vibrating with a viscerally felt truth? It can come as a sensation in the gut, the beating of your heart, a particularly persistent thought that appears out of nowhere and refuses to leave you alone. That same quality of guidance, which shows up so inexplicitly, can also make itself apparent through interpretive tools like tarot, the I Ching, astrology, and palmistry. These ancient technologies bring through messages that seem to come from everywhere and nowhere at once, as if they form out of the ether. They seem to come not from a single incisive voice, but rather from a matrix of awareness that is woven from many voices into an omniscient perspective. These messages can hit home with force, At its best, that experience is revelatory. Truths that your body tells you you already know, but which your mind had yet to register. My guest today, Ellen Goldberg, has been a deep student of these interpretive practices for decades. She is widely appreciated for her hard-won wisdom regarding these modalities. In this episode, we talk about what's really going on when you get a reading, where the insight originates from. We also explore how these different modalities relate to each other, and what it's like to live a life in devotion to interpretive mystical currents. Ellen Goldberg is an internationally known teacher of palmistry and tarot. She's the author of The Art and Science of Handreading. She is also founder and director of the School of Oracles, where she offers readings and in-depth professional trainings in palmistry and tarot. Ellen has been on the faculty of the New York Open Center since 1986 and is a psychotherapist with a private therapy practice in New York for more than 30 years. In addition, one of the first classes that we're offering on the new Evolver Awakening platform 
is taught by Ellen. For our course, Cultivating Intention to Serve Your Higher Purpose, Ellen is teaching a wonderful class called Using the Tarot for Mystic Support of Intention. Find out more by visiting EvolverAwakening.com. Everyone seems to be talking about CBD these days, that is, cannabidiol, the non-psychoactive component of cannabis. The buzz is that CBD doesn't make you high, like THC does. But for conditions such as stress and anxiety, health professionals are increasingly recommending it as an alternative to pharmaceuticals. And scientific research is showing that CBD is highly anti-inflammatory, so it can help with pain relief. What does the scientific research say about CBD? Research centers in the United States and elsewhere are studying the effects of CBD on a variety of ailments. Scientists refer to CBD as a promiscuous compound because it offers therapeutic benefits in many different ways while tapping into how we function physiologically and biologically on a deep level. Extensive preclinical research and some clinical studies have shown that CBD has strong antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, antidepressant, antipsychotic, and neuroprotective qualities. What's the best way to take CBD? CBD-rich cannabis oil products can be taken sublingually, orally, as edibles, lozenges, beverages, tinctures, and gel caps, or applied topically. Concentrated cannabis oil extracts can also be heated and inhaled with a vape pen. Inhalation is good for treating acute symptoms that require immediate attention. The effects can be felt within a minute or two and typically last for a couple of hours. The effects of orally administered CBD-rich cannabis oil can last for four hours or more, but the onset of effects is much slower, like 30 to 90 minutes, than inhalation. Evolver is the proud papa of the Alchemist Kitchen, a botanical dispensary located in the Bowery District of New York, where you can find the finest quality CBD products available without THC. We also make our own premium CBD under the Plant Alchemy label. Our producer Jose's mom uses it for stress, anxiety, and high blood pressure. Our plants are grown in both field and greenhouse environments, cultivated using living soil organic principles, leveraging strictly organic inputs, and in full compliance with the controls defined by the Colorado Department of Agriculture. Our plants are some of the highest CBD cannabis varieties currently known. You can find out more about CBD by visiting the Alchemist Kitchen website at thealchemistskitchen.com. There's an S in there. And searching for CBD. There are articles on the blog, an FAQ, and a selection of vetted products. Or stop by our spot at 21 East 1st Street in Manhattan, between Bowery and 2nd Avenue, and talk to one of our staff herbalists. At the shop, tell them you listen to the Evolver podcast and receive a 10% discount on any product on the shelves. Tarot, Astrology, Palmistry. Which is your favorite? They're all my favorite. In fact, it's just like when I do the tarot and I look at all the wonderful cards of the major arcana. Every time I teach one to my students, I say, it's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Every card. Every card, because they're all so wonderful. Just like we have so many wonderful moments. Every Every line in your hand is your favorite. Oh, no, not every line, but all the disciplines. However... I have to say, if I have to choose one, I'm put to the point. I'd have to say it's the hand. I am 
humble on my knees before these mystic tools. I also love the I Ching, which was my introduction to uh, oracles and to higher consciousness. But the hand is right there all the time, and it's your ability to do good and to help people and to make friends all around the world. I say to my students, because I've been teaching it for 40 years now, I was put into teaching by fate. You know, it was not my choice. I would have left that subject behind if at the little mystical school I was taking classes in way back then. I was in my late 20s, now I'm in my mid-70s. If they hadn't forced me to be the assistant to the, uh, to the palmistry teacher, because the other teachers, astrology and tarot, had requested me also. So I thought I had a choice. And the head of the school said, no, you have no choice. You have you no love choice. love those subjects. You'll study them no matter what. It's this or nothing, because if you're in danger of giving it up. And I can only say I bless her all the time. She was such a wise old woman. Vera Scott Johnson, famous numerologist of her time. So you were not initially attracted to palmistry in the same way. I thought it was overwhelming. I thought it was my worst subject. I was taking them all at the same time in a little school called Inner Vision. I had gone as far as I could in social work at that time. I didn't know I'd go back to school and get a master's in psychology and become a psychotherapist. I was just frustrated with social work. And here this school appeared in my searches. I had been introduced to the I Ching the year before, and I suddenly knew that there was a higher intelligence, that it would communicate, and my feeling was it could look right through me. And so with that first throw of the I Ching, my life turned 180 degrees. And I could not be the same. And the first thing I did, because I knew absolutely very, very little. I'd taken acid maybe about two years before and had a very intense positive experience, but it wasn't the same as being connected to higher power. What I had learned on that first acid trip, and that was probably in 1970, uh, was that at the core of my being was a fountain of joy. And I laughed and laughed. I remember being with a boyfriend. I rolled off the bed. I rolled on the floor with laughter. And it gave me information, as we get from all of these various experiences, that stay with you and uphold you all your life long. But it wasn't until about two years later, at about 27 years of age, that someone introduced me to the I Ching, and with that first throw of the I Ching, as I mentioned, I came to know there was a higher intelligence that would communicate, and it saw me and said something to me that I said to myself, you'd have to know me a very long time to say that to me. It gave me two hexagrams, as it often does when you throw the I Ching. And I can say right away to people who are listening to this podcast, if you don't know how to use the I Ching, you can learn in an hour. It is the most accessible oracle and so wants to be your friend. And it's like having a great Chinese sage as your friend for life. It gave me the hexagram of modesty, which was more on my darker side. And it gave me the hexagram of peace, which was more my lighter side. And I thought, it saw both sides of me. 
very clearly where my little problem was and where my light was. And I thought, whoa. So I determined to find out what else existed. And the first thing I did was take a survey course in esoteric philosophies at the new school just to see what existed. And from there, I found this little school that no longer exists. All mystical schools come and they go, come and go. But at that time, I found the School of Inner Vision in New York City. It was right across from the UN. And they gave beginning courses in everything. And I signed up for everything. Turns out I was good. All my teachers requested me as their assistant for the next year. And I just told you the story as I was told that you're going with the palmistry teacher. So what made palmistry shift for you from the thing that was the most potentially intimidating or overwhelming to the one that you really resonate with? I can only say I am so grateful to God, to spirit, the being with a thousand names, whatever you want to call it, God or goddess, the divine intelligence. Not long after I became the assistant to the teacher, maybe two months, the teacher inherited a house and moved her family 100 miles from New York and said, Ellen, you have to take over the class. I thought, no. Same time. Well, wait a second. What kind of... What it, was kind a, of it was a beginner's palmistry class. Uh-huh. We were using, at that time, the great classic written in 1900 is our textbook, The Laws of Scientific Hand Reading by William Benham. I always say my book, which is now number one in its field, is the grandchild of Benham because my teacher had studied with Benham's protege. So I am in the Benham lineage. But L- Benham wrote it in in uh, the late 1800s, and so he was a product of his time. There's no femininity in the book, no female point, no sex, no multiculturalism, because he was a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, but he was a scientific palmist, and he was a medical doctor, and I adored him. I inherited that class prematurely. I left my job as a social worker, and I spent a year luckily had unemployment, staying one step ahead of the students and making the lessons. By the time I had read Benham's 700-page book five times and outlined it, and then spent three years teaching at that little school, Inner Vision, I was a palmist. Ah. <laughs> and that was then I went on to reading and uh, learning and finding out by just reading hands and asking questions and studying archetypes and okay so you know the stuff in the book I the original book but yes. something else has to go on to when you do a reading it's not just oh well oh. you know on page 72 it says that when you turn that line turns up a little bit over there it's not you know it means this or that what i came to learn was that everything we learn feeds the subconscious everything we learn feeds the intuition, because intuition means the inner tutor. And I happen to be someone who has wide-ranging interests. I'm not only just interested in palmistry, astrology, and tarot. That's one part of my life, big part, because I now have a school for many years called the School of Oracles, where I train readers and teachers, and I feel myself, a, I call or I feel inside that I am a servant of the mysteries to keep these things alive and to keep them going forward in a very good way. But 
I'm also a psychotherapist. I was a, I've just retired after 32 years in private practice. I became a transpersonal therapist. I studied nutrition at East West Institute. I've studied philosophy. In other words, I have wide ranging interests. I'm a painter. The subconscious loves to synthesize information. You feed it. And then you look at things and your inner mind will start to put them together. Just like it has been noted by uh, great thinkers, scientists do not have intuitions about art. They have intuitions about science. Or as uh, Jonas Salk once said, the intuition will tell the thinking mind where to look next. And this is true in every field. Wherever you have fed yourself, the mind is going to play with it and bring up new insights and put together things. I was also fortunate after I had taken every course at Inner Vision to go on to another school that no longer exists called the School of Mystical Sciences. It was on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. There I spent four years studying Kabbalistic tarot tarot and kabbalah together side together, by side side by side and taught in christian kabbalah because it was my teacher who had been a professor at uh, dartmouth and had taught at yale he was christian and he learned kabbalah and there is a great tradition of christian kabbalah i uh, studied there a number of years and so i started to in, understand more about the hermetic tradition then I was very fortunate. I believe that spirit works in your life when you really take steps to aid spirit and to be to work for spirit. It works for you. Like I never pray for anything. I just watch what shows up, and I always have what I need. I also, you have to be able to respond uh, to what is brought to you. I was sent to the New York Open Center. When it first opened, about it had been open about a year, and I adore Open Center. It's now 35 years that I'm teaching there, and they're like family to me for a long, long time. Uh, I was sent there to teach palmistry. People who were on the board of directors, I used to read at these parties of wealthy people, and just I was invited, and I'd read. I read everywhere I go for rich and poor alike. I'm given plenty of work for reading, so I never have to worry if I run into someone and they look at the hand. I'll always look for free for a moment. But Open Center said, no, we don't do palmistry. No. And I'd already been teaching 10 years. Oh, no, our donors, they would think that we are too bubble-headed. They didn't use those words, but they would not like that. We, But said Ralph White, who is a great mystic and uh, highly psychic and intuitive, one of the two founders of Open Center, along with Walter Beebe. Uh, Ralph turned to me and said, but what would you do with a course in tarot? How are you in tarot? He didn't ask me whether I'd ever taught it. He just said, how are you in it? And I could honestly say I'm as good in tarot as I am in palmistry. And he was busy, and I said, oh, I'll go with you to the bank. And there, standing on line at the bank, he turned and he said, you know, I think it's you. You're the one. You're going to be our tarot teacher. And I had six months to turn myself into a scholar. You know how they always say an artist needs a date. 
And I was in that catalog for the next semester, and I really doubled down, and I already knew an awful lot. And I became a tarot scholar, and I've been teaching there for 35 years. Wow. And so they challenge you. That's what part of my learning. Being a teacher forces you forces to learn so you can teach. And but what let's are you go back to do that's new, they would say, Ellen, what are you gonna do that's new? And I got invited yeah. to teach on the quests and I'd have to do I learned tarot and alchemy. I started to study alchemy, tarot and Kabbalah, tarot and the perennial philosophy, a tarot and archetypes. I have a huge roster of subjects that I have incorporated. And really, what I want to say most is that the Western esoteric tradition, our primary axiom, hermetic axiom, is as above, so below. That's what it says on the Emerald Tablet of Hermes, the first uh, writing on alchemy, you know, uh, true, certain, and most true, that which is above, as is that which is below, for the performance of the miracles of the one thing. And it goes on and on. And so I began to understand the law of correspondence. There are many laws in Hermeticism that are marvelous to know. I recommend the book, The Kabbalion, by three initiates, one of them likely being Paul Foster Case, where they talk about these laws of uh, Hermeticism. But to understand correspondence. What is correspondence? There is a vibration for everything. Our whole world is based on vibration. And things resonate on a certain level with one another. We know this really with, we're interacting with people. We feel certain vibrations with people so that we know that we are in accord with them. But there are vibrations between all things, such as between plants, animals, colors, tones of the, uh, of the scale, correspondences of mental states, chakras, parts of the body. Everything relates in a vibrational way to other things. And if you ever read a table of correspondence and you can see them, I give one, I've made one for my students, which we get when we start to study tarot, because every one of those cards is part of a whole series of correspondences. And if you want to bring certain things to you, you start to incorporate these correspondences and it naturally happens. One of my favorite correspondences, because I'm watching all the time, remember how we're called the microcosm to the macrocosm? That's the biggest correspondence of all. Just like when Rumi said, everyone knows that the drop is in the ocean, but not everyone realizes that the ocean is also in the drop. The whole universe is in us. I delight and am in actual awe time and time again. One thing about reading for people is it's never-endingly fascinating, and every hand and every chart is different. By the time a little baby is only three months in uterus, the lines are already formed in the hand. The chart, on the other hand, so to speak, our astrology chart is the pattern of the uh, planets in the sky at the moment we take our first breath. And that comes into us with our first breath. We breathe in that vibration. And I like to think that we're kind of like cookie dough. That first 
pattern is stamped so deeply in our soul. Well, I'm a darn good astrologer, and of course I'm a master palmist. When I look at the hand and the chart together, I see the law of correspondence at work. They never contradict. In fact, I will see that someone is a Sagittarius or that they have Jupiter, which rules Sagittarius, conjunct the sun, and sure enough, the mount of Jupiter is huge. I will see that Saturn is opposite the moon, and sure enough, like yesterday, I saw the bent finger of Saturn and the big mount of Saturn. You see in both of them like mirror images. To read them together is absolutely fascinating. And again, you see the intelligence of the universe at work. It's amazing how it's all so woven together in this way. And that the universe, that divine intelligence, takes the time to create for each of us us little transitory specks of dust, right? Uh As passing through an entire world, paths, learnings, lessons, gifts, incidents that are already slated and that we are co-creators with that and that it responds because as one of the great astrologers, Isabel Hickey, used to teach in Boston, said, the stars impel, they don't compel. And we know from the hand that the recessive hand doesn't change very much. So if you're a right-handed person, it's the left hand that's recessive, doesn't change much, vice versa if you're a lefty, and it shows the original pattern. If it changes at all, it's very slowly and not much. But the dominant hand changes every time you change. Change your mind, and we know the mind is the most amazing product of evolution. No one has a mind like we do. Well, Creatures I'm, have intelligence, and in fact, as Pythagoras said, oh, amazing, everything is intelligent. Yeah. On this planet. On this planet. Like, let, let, oh, let's yes. try, let's, oh, let's be appropriate. Oh, I'm sticking <laughs> mostly to this planet, absolutely. Okay, all right, I just oh, want to understand what we're talking about here. So 100%. Embodied, embodied on this planet. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, this, oh, you know. what minds there must be yeah. out you, there you in gotta, the universe. You got to let it go a little bit. And they, oh, there it is, course. out there. It's like, oh yeah, but... Maybe looking and, for a body. And I wonder if the laws of palmistry would apply. Or, that would be fascinating. That would be fascinating because, you know, once you learn to read the hand, it is the same symbol system for all people all over this planet. The interpretive systems that have developed over the years, over the centuries in different parts of the planet, are they? do they match each other similarly? I have not investigated all of them. But I would say that they probably, if they have truth, they will come in from their own particular view, such as in China, where palmistry was very ancient. They centered mostly on the healing aspects and the medical aspects of the palm. I center, and Western uh, palmistry centers, on the archetypes of the personalities, the shapes. Certainly, I'm interested in the lines and the details of the life, but I adore, and that's what I cover in great detail. In the book. Yes, in my book, the archetypes, the primal patterns that have existed since the dawn of time and that do exist all over the planet because these are 
the primal personality patterns that are necessary in order for society or any group to be whole. For instance, there's the artist, the Mount of Apollo. There are leaders and spiritual leaders. That would be the Mount of Jupiter. There are wise scholars and scientists. That would be Saturn. There's the business people and the tricksters and the healers. That would be Mercury. There's the lovers. That would be, and the lovers of music and grace and warmth. That's Venus. There's Luna, the visionaries and the mystics. And there are the Mars types, the warriors. Mm. and That's all different parts of the palm. All different parts of the palm. And by mixing and matching, reading when a person reads a palm, it's the same way that a good cook could read a recipe book. You know those ingredients. And for all those who like to cook, we know that you can just go through that book and you have a feeling what that recipe would be like if you know the ingredients. It will be the hand. It's mix and match. Mm -hmm. And there are many modifiers. It's not only just the uh, combination of the primary archetypes and just as important what ones are missing where you need help. Uh, but it's how fine the skin is. The finer the skin, the more refined the inner nature. The hand never lies. How flexible is it? The more flexible the hand, the more flexible the mind. What are the shapes of the fingertips? Are the fingers long or short? When did you first start to notice that intuitive aspect when you were reading, working with a palm for yourself? And how did that start to come up for you? Like, Did you have a moment where you were like, oh, I'm feeling this? And what does that feel like for you? It was gradual. I didn't know, with so many things that happened to us, you don't know how good you are or exactly how it's working. It takes time. For instance, my students sometimes, or my therapy clients, would say to me, Ellen, thank God I have you. You're so wise. I, you're my role model, and I would think to myself, I'm such a fool. Well, I mean... You know, I, you have to say things grow slowly. We're all many different things. And I have learned to trust, to say what I think. It's like in tarot. You can read some cards without even studying because the images are there to make you think. And if you will allow the thoughts to bubble up in your mind and just trust them, so much is trust because, right, we are alive on so many levels. We are not just our mind. We have many, many parts to ourselves. We love the mind. I always delight in remembering that the word man and the word mind come from the same Sanskrit root. Manas, meaning to think. So we've named ourselves the thinkers. But that god of communication, Mercury, is also the trickster. And our mind is a tricky little thing. And it was a survival tool, right? We don't have long claws, tough hide, great speed. No, we've got this mind. And it is always scanning for trouble. And that's why it loves to worry loves to look for what's wrong. 
and it's our job to tame it, right? Mercury was the central figure for the alchemists because it was both the transformer, that's our mind, we have to use the mind to heal the mind. Mercury, we are the transformer and the thing that needs to be transformed. That's the central paradox. So and when you're doing a reading, let's say you're doing a tarot reading, mm -hmm. and some things start to come up to you. You start to have some, where and how do you know that you can trust what's coming up so that, because there's also the possibility you're going to say something to somebody that might lead them in a difficult direction, might be difficult for them to absorb, even if it's true, or may not actually yeah. be accurate also, because there's projections involved, for, especially as you're developing, right? How did you begin to resolve that for yourself so that you knew that Once you could trust Once or twice I made it? a mistake. I can't even believe that. Early on. Oh, did I ever learn something from that? Because I projected what I hoped would be so onto it for the client. That's why we really study the cards. And the cards are so rich with symbolism. And the hand, too. If you just read what you see. And also, you can trust certain things. Everything takes time to learn. We become masterful only over time. No one starts out that way. And you have to be uh, as kind and as careful as can be. You have to start out knowing that you want to do no harm and that you want to only give people what can serve them so that if you're really not sure, just don't say it because there'll be plenty of things. My students can start reading some things, we're talking palmistry here, from the first lesson because they're learning some things that they can learn, simple things like how flexible is the hand, how does the skin feel, what does it feel like when you press it, is it resilient, does it collapse under pressure? But they know they can only have a few things, and yet they'll go out and say, in fact, Dorian would famously tell her story that she went out after the first class to a big party and used those very few things, and. Everyone in this big party wanted their hand read. People are hungry for information about themselves, right? To know ourselves, to have ourselves reflected back to ourselves. This is some of the most gratifying things in the world. And that the world, we know it's not an easy place. It's everyday school. I've heard it called all kinds of things, our planet Earth, including maybe it's just the hell of some other planet. Uh, but it is definitely a school, but there are signposts, there are teachers all along the way, including the greatest of all teachers, the greatest master, which resides within. We'll meet many teachers along the way, but the ultimate master is there already inside you. And what we cultivate along with learning to read the cards or the hand or the chart is not only feeding ourselves, feeding our intuition with all these wonderful, fascinating facts, is we cultivate the ability to listen within. Because everyone can, as Mahatma Gandhi once said, Anyone who will can hear the voice. But it, like everything, it requires previous and definite preparation. So when you were very young, 
before you developed a connection to these modalities, these tools, mm -hmm. really, did you have an inkling that you were that you had a mystical connection? No. So what I, brought you to even be interested in even in like the I Ching? It was a gift to me from the universe. What I did see, only in retrospect, was that everything brought me along the path. I had a troubled childhood because my mother was mentally ill and dangerous. And so I had many wounds. Therefore, I could not just grow up to be a nice Jewish girl on Long Island because I had things I couldn't speak about. And I also had gifts. I was creative. I came from my mother's family, which has a creative family. I had artistic and acting gifts and painting gifts and grace. And my father was very intelligent. He was a street kid from Coney Island in the uh, amusement park business. He was a carnival barker. My mother was a dancer and an actress. So it was a different kind of household. But there was this problem that I couldn't speak about. So therefore, I was not going to, by a certain age, I realized I was not going to fit in. And when I so happily, a friend took me to the Woodstock Festival. Really? You I, were there? Oh, I was in there. In the mud. In the mud. I was 24 years old. I Once I parked the car, we couldn't. the car sunk in the mud, so therefore I couldn't leave for three days. What was the best moment for you? What band? What show? I love show? Janis Joplin. Oh. oh, my God. I adore Janis and Jimi Hendrix. These were fabulous things. Were you awake for the Star Spangled Banner? It was early in the morning. I think dawn, sun coming up. Oh, you know something? I don't remember. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but I do remember the kindness of people. And that, in, and that rain and wandering around with my friend Suzanne in a little tent flap opening up and saying, hey, girls, you need shelter? And we went in and had a cozy place. People shared their sleeping bags with us for the night. How food was given out and flown in for all of us. I remember those uh, porta potties overflowing. <sighs> oh, my God. But I also had a fabulous time. And I found my people. Then, within two months, I had left home. So you was that. a hippie, 24-year-old, bang, full on. Oh, that's turned my life around. Uh -huh. And of course, many years later, I moved to Woodstock. I've had a cabin just a mile, at, two miles outside of town, out of Woodstock for 27 years. I didn't actually get that cabin till I was 40. But the minute I got home from the Woodstock Festival, I started making plans to leave. I had been very responsible to my family. And I moved into New York City, got a job in New York. Within a few months, I had taken acid for the first time. And my path started to unfold. So and let what, me just, so just to say, back in those days, a lot of the hippie scene wasn't necessarily connecting so deeply to mystical currents. It hadn't necessarily for me, but what it connected me to was tribe, openness, freedom, acceptance of who you are, counterculture, joy, and just enjoying 
dancing, my body, love, people, people who thought more like me. And as soon as I was introduced to the I Ching, my mind lit up like a light bulb, and then my searching and my learning never stopped. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So you were saying that when you did that with the I Ching and you started to work these other modalities, you became convinced of this higher intelligence that's available that comes through when you use these tools. Yes. Was there a resistance at first for you? Not one shred. Really? The minute I saw that, I knew it. I guess I'd been primed. I was so ready. And I've never had a moment's doubt. And everything I've learned has only... Uh, furthered that. So then my and question... And of course, I've studied meditation since then with many masters, and I am a long-time, many-year practitioner of meditation and of different mystical philosophies, both East and West. The understanding that we are not our personalities, that we are not our minds, and how to question our thinking. One of teacher, I've learned from so many teachers. One teacher I loved, Byron Katie and her wonderful four questions for questioning your own thinking, when she said, who would you be without your story? And I thought, oh, just woman sitting on couch. Who would I be? And I remember her saying, if I believe, she came to understand, if I believe everything I think, I'll go crazy. And then I learned to question my thinking. I learned from the wonderful school of Roberto Assagioli, the Italian uh, founder of psychosynthesis, that we are made of many parts and that we can honor them and love them. But they are not ourself. They're just the different roles we switch in and out of all day long. I may be a wise woman, but I'm a fool. I'm a little girl. I'm a rebellious teenager. I'm a wise consumer. I'm a teacher. I'm a lover. I'm an angry girl. We have so many parts, but that's not who we are. From Asagioli, you learn how to find the center of consciousness and energy and identify with the central self. In fact, so many teachers teach that. That was one of the first things I would teach to my therapy clients, so that we have a place to go where we simply are pure being. And from that spot, we can feel connected to the entire universe. So through your study of all these different lineages, what is actually happening when you are doing one of these intuitive modalities like palmistry or tarot. What is coming through? What is that, quote-unquote? Is Can you get more specific about mm-hmm. than higher intelligence? Each one is a little different. Okay. For instance, in palmistry, 
it's mind-blowing to hear, to see the shapes and the lines that are here at any given moment. And remember, when you change your mind, you authentically change your thinking, the lines change. The dominant hand is not fate. It's your report card from your own higher self. It's more miraculous than fate. It's your interaction. We call it God's roadmap. You're constantly being guided by the higher self and showing how you're doing, where you're weak, where you're strong, what's coming up for you, so that you are prepared to work with it. And if you don't like it, you can change it. I've changed mine. I've watched hundreds of people change theirs. The cards are different. They're in in-the-moment interaction with higher consciousness. In a reading, I'll combine, that's my uh, gift is that I am a very good synthesizer of information. Maybe that's why I've been able to synthesize so many different paths, even in my palmistry book, or why I can in a reading. But these cards, there's a tremendous amount of wonderful information to learn, especially when you combine it with the Hebrew alphabet and with the Kabbalistic tree of life which is how I like to teach it and use it. It's a holy thing. You're connecting in the moment to the divine intelligence. So one always starts with centering, quieting yourself, saying a prayer. And I say things like the beginning of the prayer I like to use is Mother, Father, God, just now we ask to be placed in the light of the Holy Spirit. And I see myself and my clients surrounded by golden light. And I ask for the presence of the divine intelligence that manifests through these cards. And I ask on behalf of, and I say the name of my client or myself, and what the card that represents them in the tarot, there's always one for everybody. Uh, and I talk about how we say this in humbleness and gratefulness, and I conclude with the Kabbalistic cross and ask to be made a clear reader so that I can be made, uh, be of service, because that's what we're here for, help each other along. I love when Ram Dass said, we're all just walking each other home. Yeah. That's really the heart of it. You invoke, and that spirit is there. What is that spirit? When you say that spirit, is it the guide of the person that you are doing the reading for? Is it some other kind of being associated just with the tarot or the deck it's or the lineage? Question. If it is true, as I believe, that there is only one thing, right? It's the one. Once heard a great scholar say that all of mysticism could be summed up in the phrase, the longing of the many for the one and of the one for the many. We are yearning for that. That is yearning for us. But nature, spirit, delights in diversification. In one sense, people may have individual guides. 
individual spirits, ancestors, spirits, spirit animals, however they like to see it. I personally go straight to the one. I think there is one thing, the divine, that permeates everything and that is in every little molecule of us. We are miniature universes. Every person we see and meet is God. Everything, even if it seems inanimate like this microphone in front of me or this cup of tea at my side, everything is divine. And as Pythagoras noted, everything is intelligent. Everything. Everything is growing. Therefore, it is that divine oneness manifesting in just one of its trillion myriad ways, which is taking time for the likes of you and me to respond to a question. And it does like ritual, I believe. It does like when you approach it in a holy manner. Well, there's something about doing ritual in the way that you're describing it that gets you out of your conscious mind thinking about what you're going to say to somebody so that you can become an open channel for the thing that's going to come through. Oh, the more we make ourselves available, you're totally right, the more it comes through. And it is more fantastic than one can even imagine. Doing things and showing things in the cards that are a million to one shot like you're mixing them and the person significator, say you've announced them as the Knight of Wands or Queen of Pentacles, seeing it flip over in the deck right on top of the cards. Oh, just happened yesterday. The last card, the outcome, she wanted to know something about what was going to happen if she went with this new project and the result was her own card, the card that she was really going to come into her being. We knew it. I mean, Every card was gorgeous, and then it ended with her card. The universe will respond. Now, do I understand the workings of this universe? No, because for me, the greatest symbol is the yin and yang sign. It is half order, half chaos, half light, half dark. What's happening to those people that are in war-torn countries and being slaughtered by their countrymen for no reason at all except difference of opinion. Do I understand why I've been blessed to live in a part of the world with relative safety and order? Given this gift where some are slaughtered in infancy, live a life of pain or imprisonment, No, these are things I do not know. But I can deal with being present, doing the very best I can, and doing whatever I can to aid in my way, as I think we all do. I do not only work with uh, these mystic tools and psychotherapy, but I am... uh, the president of the board of directors of a health school that teaches people how to inexpensively feed themselves and take healing into their own hands through nutrition. It's the Ann Wigmore Natural Health Institute in Puerto Rico. And uh, people come to us from all over the world. We don't just, we're no clinic, we're no spa. We are, 
We teach people how to do everything for themselves and grow food even in your apartment. Uh, so everyone can choose something in some way to make life better, to end hunger, to bring more prosperity to people or more peace, even if it's in a small way and it's just those with whom we come in contact every day. But what I do know is that if you learn some of these mystic tools, life will make use of you because uh, there are people you can help. I find that many times I have faded encounters with people where it's just because I'm supposed to glance at their hand for a moment and give them a piece of news. I have plenty of clients coming to me for official readings of an hour or an hour and a half. I never have to worry. I have friends, oh, if you're gonna learn one of them, learn palmistry. After all, that's the book I've already published. I'm working on a tarot book now, but my book was written, that's why I mentioned Dorian and our, uh, me speaking the book aloud to her, is because it's written in a conversational tone meant to be a uh, class that if you read two pages a day in a year, you would be a palmist. Once you work for spirit, spirit is there with you also. It doesn't mean I haven't suffered or that I don't have to work things out almost on a daily basis. You have to get very patient with yourself. We're always given challenges. One of the greatest pieces of advice that I ever learned came from one of my meditation teachers, John Kabat-Zinn, who teaches mindfulness meditation, one of my favorite forms. And he talked about how that when the mind wanders, and it will wander, the moment of return, when you bring it back, tells us so much about our relationship with ourself. Because if you say, oh, you idiot, there it is, running away, thinking about this, what about that movie you want to see? And no, you bring it back with utmost kindness. Bring it back to your breath, bring it back to your mantra. And his Zen teacher called it ruthless patience. Nothing would make you impatient with yourself. Nothing. Always kindness. And I applied that not only to meditation, but to my whole life. Because it's a matter of readjustment 20 times a day, more, and gently, never angry, always kind, and just in that kindness, you develop a relationship to yourself that allows for the openness to be connected to your own higher self, to not make a big deal about having to do it and redo it. After all, Dalai Lama says he has to do it every morning, that the, what makes him a little bit special he said when asked is that every morning he's willing to readjust his attitude. And with a kindly readjustment feeling for yourself, we can bring ourselves back to what we know. The cards, after all, the tarot is not for fortune telling. I teach it as a tool, and you can use it as a tool for just showing you what you need to know about yourself in order to come back to your center? That's my favorite question for the cards. It's my favorite question for the I Ching. 
tell me what you think I ought to know about myself right now to come to my center. Do you do this regularly for yourself? No. Ah. I did when I was learning. Mm -hmm. I did it daily. I did the I Ching every day for about two years. Oh, wow. And the cards, I use them when I need them. And of course, I read for other people. And I do them, oh, I'd say maybe at least once a week for myself. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm in a process that I need to work through, I'll do it a number of times to learn because some of the quest, some of the qualities of them, some of the teachings of them over time become part of you so that you can hear that teaching and you hear what you need to know. What I do do on a daily basis is sit quiet and go into the silence and just allow myself to listen. If I have something that I need to know about, sometimes it takes a little time because you have to quiet down the personality. You know, as they say, there are three answers to every question. Yes, no, and wait. Sometimes I have to wait to clear away a lot of stuff to hear. But if you can learn to hear the voice of the heart, and that's what all of these things are helping us to go towards, then you have your inner oracle. Then you have your inner teacher that is with you always. So for you, that be that became more available through a meditation practice as you went deeper into this territory, into this Absolutely. mystical landscape. That is my indispensable practice. And did you find yourself attracted to a particular modality or did you sort of mix and match different techniques and find something for yourself that really works? Um, I'm a mix and matcher. Uh -huh. I have a few modalities that work, but I'm a great lover of vipassana, mindfulness meditation, just watching the breath. Have you done a 10-day retreat? Yes, I have. You did, in yes, silence. I, in I can't silence. even imagine. Can you imagine? No. I've done, um, I've done more than one silent retreat. Not really? for a while. I probably should do one again. Oh, my But God. I did two or three of them. And um, years passed. What I have learned is to breathe. I know how to. You heard me do that meditation the other day of run light through the body and also breathe. I have a mantra that I received many years ago from Swami Satchitananda. I use whatever technique it is and relaxation, letting the body, you know, moving it. And I have studied trance induction. I studied with the many people. I'm certified, but I use it for myself. Ericksonian hypnosis, uh, the National Guild of Hypnotists, with shamanistic trance induction. I know how to do inner journeys for myself, how to enter a trance for myself. All I'm using are these tools till I get to the spot where the thinking slows down to practically nothing. And I am in pure being. And from there, that's the spot. That's the meditation, is no mind. Or as I joke to myself, no thinking, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The weaving together of all of these modalities is a particularly modern way of working with mystical currents, it seems to me. Because there have never been so many modalities available. Oh, you are right at the same time, in one place. And 
we're and we're bringing these kind of scientific analytical tools to our understanding of them because of who we are in the West and the sort of critical thinking that goes along with that. It's a really interesting Very thing interesting. to try to figure out, like, what is it that's being woven together here? And we can each interweave it in our own unique way because each of us gathers tools. There are so many parts of it. For instance, one part we haven't really talked about much uh, is the influence of the food we choose and the mental states. Because you could have learned the best meditation in the world, but if you've eaten sugar, a lot of sugar, your mind isn't going to want to quiet. You are racing inside. How we learn to learn what we need to eat that it goes for our body. How we learn to quiet the mind if we wish to lose, use a few tools. Some of and each one of us gathers our gifts, our tools, our bag of tricks. We do live in a very special time. There's never been so much uh, consciousness and uh, individual, uh, well, tools for a better, lack of a better word at the moment. We've never had so much, such a great array of knowledge for individuals, especially uh, well, I could say East and West, except in some unfortunately very repressed or oppressive countries, which may try and limit it, but knowledge will out. Maybe it has to do with us entering the great age of Aquarius. We are really at the dawning of the age of Aquarius. You know, in astrology, there's something called the great year. And it's in some ways how long it actually does take the sun to go around the earth. It must last at least somewhere about 30,000 years. Um, this is ballpark. And so it goes through each of the 12 signs of the zodiac backwards, going in the other direction, stays about 2,000, 2,500 years in each sign. We just came out of and finished the age of uh, Pisces, which was when all the great religions and the Buddha and Christ came up, those Piscean energies. Now we're entering the age of Aquarius. We're at the beginning, and Aquarius rules technology and freedom for people, and all these things are going right off the charts as soon as we started this. Some say the cusp started when Columbus discovered America, but it's certainly we're into it, and it's going to go on for another couple of thousand years, another at least 2,000 years. Who knows where we'll be by the time we go into the next great age. Now, of course, different um, cultures have different ways of explaining these, and there are different forms of astrology, but to study what that great year means also accords with the coming into the age of Aquarius, the kind of power to the people idea and that we have been given. Remember, there was not a printing press. People were illiterate. They did not have books. These were in the hands of the clergy, if at all. We have access to things that people never had before. Mm -hmm. We also have access to weapons of mass destruction, so this is a very dicey thing, and just like the yin and yang, there's the greatest good, and there's the greatest possibility for evil. 
you were teaching and working with these modalities yes. when you decided to go back to school and become a psychotherapist. Exactly. What so. was missing in the the palmistry and the tarot and the and the astrological readings that being a therapist would actually be helpful for? Respect. Because people like to see that you have a degree. Then, at the minute I got that master's in psychology, Open Center hired me. So, in terms of the kinds of uh, clients you would get or how you would work with the clients, it was all the same? It was all the same. Uh, well, no, because I grew. And, of course, through your association with well-known and respected institutions, I think the world of the New York Open Center, then people come to trust you. And of course, it's been a wonderful venue for me. Before I started my own school of oracles, I started to teach there. I was teaching, but I didn't name myself anything. Uh, I was just teaching palmistry. Suddenly, I was teaching palmistry and tarot. I used to take it very easy. I would teach two years, and I saw that I liked to teach not short classes. I saw that my nature liked to take my time, and now my class takes about two years to complete because it's only 100 hours, 110-hour course, but I like to take breaks in between semesters. I believe wisdom, as they say, should be taken in small bites so it can be digested. And um, But to be a psychotherapist and a palmist gave me, to people, it was like a calling card. Of course, I enriched myself enormously by doing the work, by writing a thesis, by studying archetypes. I went to Goddard in Vermont, where you can really design your own program with the help of mentors, and I adored it. I had the greatest experience, and I went to the East-West Institute for Holistic Studies for two years and specialized in nutrition and mental states. That's just how it is. I love to study, and I continue to study. Did you find that what you learned to become a therapist changed how you do the readings? My readings became more psychological in nature, and I was able to attract. I used to I've just recently taken down my therapy website. I still have the School of Oracles website up there, schooloforacles.com. But the Wise Woman Therapist website, after all those years, is down because now in my mid-70s, I want my freedom and not a weekly schedule. I just like to do readings, maybe a little short-term therapy work with people. But Ah, so I get it. So then the way you were doing it, was essentially rather than doing the reading here or there, as a therapist, you're entering into a longer engagement with a client. Yes, and sometimes a year, sometimes four or five years. Right, and so then you would, it would be directed more towards these larger therapeutic goals. Oh, because you know people have been damaged. Not everybody, but sometimes the effects of trauma or family and because I had to overcome, and I became a therapist after years of therapy, thinking one day after I was in therapy for many years to heal my family wounds and overcome it, and I'm one of those lucky people. 
I did completely and found complete peace and love with my mother and healing and the whole kit and caboodle. It's work. But one day, as I was a palmist, I was invited by a friend who was a Jungian therapist to come to a dinner party that she was entertaining all her other Jungian therapists, and I would read cards and do palms and do a demonstration for them. And I did, and I had a wonderful time, but at one point I was inspired to suggest that this therapist um, try something when she talked about her need for her own healing, and it was like, wow. She said, that was amazing. And I thought, I can do this too. You learn that everyone is the same. Everyone's got issues. Whether you're the therapist or the guru, everybody's got family. Everybody's got events in life and kids. Once I was... When I studied at East West, it was long ago, they used to arrange for us to have fabulous weekend workshops with these pioneers of uh, the new age thinking, all kinds of people who would later would never have been available, but they were early. One of them, I'm not going to say his name, I was so impressed with. I just thought the world of him. And some years later, I ran into someone who was his assistant worked with him. And I said, you worked with him? That is so fabulous. She said to me, not if you knew him. (laughs) Right. And I thought, boy, that is the truth about all of us. We never need to be impressed with anybody that think it's just that everyone has another piece of the puzzle. Everyone has a part that they get to share with other people, but we're all working on ourselves. And so we can never put ourselves higher or lower. Everybody is an equal worker on the path, especially since you mentioned the intelligence that may reside outside of our own little planet out there in the cosmos. All of us are probably little infants just crawling around compared to the consciousness that may exist in our space brothers and sisters. As we mature in our world, in our life, and things change and your hand changes and you're doing this development of your own self. Are there specific things you can do to help with the big bumps, with an illness, with a crisis? Absolutely, positively. That's what they're there for. And then talk about a, a strategy. For instance, I've had cancer twice. The most recent one was just two years ago. I had lung cancer. After all, I smoked pot for 50 years. And when I was a troubled kid, I smoked cigarettes from the time I was 13 till I was about 35. Doesn't matter, I haven't smoked in 40 years. You know, the cigarettes. And lived in New York City, all this stuff. But my first cancer was when I was 45. I had breast cancer. And I remember I was living alone at that time. I had a boyfriend I adored, but we lived separately. And um, I was diagnosed with the breast cancer. And I was pacing the floor of my apartment. It was the middle of the night. There's no one to call. It's 3 a.m. And I'd just been diagnosed that day. And I took down the I Ching, thinking, 
gee, I don't know. I've used it. I've loved it for years. Because the itching going to talk to me about cancer. And I had not large breasts, nice little round breasts. And I was going to lose one of them. And um, I threw the itching there in the middle of the night. And it gave me a hexagram called decay. And the image was this, the image of this hexagram is a bowl in whose contents worms are breeding. And it gave me a special line saying, sometimes supreme success, supreme success. And sometimes a person, this is my wording of it, has the right to go and do whatever they need to do without worrying about the opinion of others. And in that moment, I knew, because it was my old friend, just like I threw it the other night when I needed some guidance and it spoke right to me just the other night. Uh, but in that moment, I never worried again. I knew that I would survive. And here I am, 40, you know, uh, 30 years later after that uh, bout of cancer. And it led me on such a fabulous journey. In fact, even though I've loved many teachers and lived at ashrams for summers, I lived at Rajneesh ashrams for three summers at a certain point in my life over in Ibiza and in Germany. Um, I never took a guru. And when I got my cancer, suddenly it occurred to me, this is my guru. And I used to call my cancer by my pet name, my guru. And I became a deeper human being. But that, because of the I Ching, I used it to guide me always through the entire process of that cancer, and it never failed me. And, of course, from the first night, I never had to worry once. I knew I had to endure many things, but because of, which I won't necessarily go into, everyone who's had experience with it knows you go through a lot, but I never worried. I never doubted my survival. And of course, it was true. The I Ching, what you learn in the hand, each symbol system, each of the oracles comes to you with different pieces of the puzzle. But I often say to people, like when I read their cards, that I'm only standing in for the voice of your heart. That if you sit really quietly and listen, right? Remember how they say prayer is when you speak to God. Meditation is when you listen. If you sit quietly, you'll hear the truth. Because I go by the adage, in your heart, you already know. And these things will show you and show people, because I have them read the cards with me. I say some things about what I know and what I get, and then I always say, well, what do you think? Because things will occur to them too, because those images, now they won't understand about the hand, you have to study it, like anything. But you know, even the greatest brain surgeon, the first day they walk into medical school, they know nothing. You decide that you're fascinated by something. Oh, and if anyone wants to study with me and can't afford like one of my courses that one must pay for online, I have two free courses on YouTube. I have 47 videos on uh, palmistry and 53 videos on tarot on YouTube you can just cite my name in Ellen Goldberg, Tarot, Ellen Goldberg, Palmistry. 
and also on Howcast, H-O-W-C-A-S-T, Howcast.com, who were the wonderful company, a how-to station that came to my home and filmed those videos with me. And we were lucky enough to have you do a class for us on the Evolver Awakening side for the course, Cultivating Intention to Serve Your Higher Purpose, where you talk about tarot and intention. Beautiful, beautiful class. Uh, really appreciate Thank that. You. It's so great to have you on Evolver Awakening and be part of this new adventure that we're all taking part in, creating a kind of online community, both online and offline community for people who are going deeper into their own spiritual exploration. It's the most important thing in the whole world. And there's a lot more people who seem to be keyed into this. It's like, I don't know if this is the right word, exponential right? It keeps growing and growing. Did you expect this when you started getting into this, uh, you know, a few decades ago? I had no idea. But like with most things, if you follow your curiosity, it will lead you somewhere good. Ellen, thank you so much. Where can people find you? They can uh, email me at alchemicalellen at gmail. You can find me on Facebook. I have a personal page, Ellen Goldberg. Of course, there's about 100 Ellen Goldbergs. You might easier find me on my Facebook page, School of Oracles, or on my website, schooloforacles.com. And I'd be delighted to hear from any of you. That's great. Thank you so much. Great to have you here. Big pleasure. I want to thank Ellen Goldberg, and thank you, too, for joining us. You can find out more about Ellen at schooloforacles.com. I also want to thank our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the ACAST team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, from his album The Secret Song. And our interstitial music are tracks by The Human Experience, Sunu from the album Soul Visions with Rising Appalachia, and here for a moment on the album Gone, Gone, Beyond. Please check them out. That's all for now. We'll be back next week. Find the others. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details